Great. Hi, everyone. And um, hi, if you're... Um, sorry, you're going to hear my keys jangle if you're on the podcast. Just put my phone in my pocket. Uh, brilliant. Good stuff, guys. Uh, lovely to be with you. Um, I think I, I know most, if not all of you, but, um, you know, for a sense of um, easing myself into it. My name's John. Uh, I'm uh, part of the team at Church Collective. I'm what's called an ordinand, which you can forget that word immediately because it's long and overly complicated. Basically means I'm training to be a vicar. Um, and I'm having a ball, it's really fun, and I'm placed here at Church Collective, um, having a good time. So I'm about halfway through, so keep praying for me, because it's getting harder. Um, but um, it's all really good, all really good stuff, amazing. So I wanted to start um, today, um, well, firstly, because I can talk a lot, uh, if you don't take anything else away from today, the thing I want you to remember is that Jesus is too beautiful to stay put, okay? That's the nugget, and now you're going to get a load of waffle. Only joking. Hopefully some of it will be okay. But Jesus is too beautiful to stay put. Okay, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to kind of um, segue us into um, our passage for today. Thank you so much for reading, Taria. I was there singing and I thought, I've not got someone to do that. Please, please. Great. So um, this first story um, is a true story, not uh, my own, this one. But um, I want to tell you about a guy called Tim Staffel. Has anyone heard of Tim Staffel? No, of course you haven't. But you could have heard of Tim Staffel, but he missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime, okay? He was the lead singer of a band called Smile. Not Smile Collective. <laughs> Thought of that one the other day. I was for myself. Not Smile Collective, but Smile the band, okay? And after one of their gigs, he thought, lads, they were all boys, he's like, lads, I'm done. I'm done working this hard. I'm done doing pubs and clubs. I can't hack it. I'm going to stick with what I know. This, this ain't for me. I'm going to go and join this other band um, who had a very odd name that I shouldn't repeat in church. But he, um, he had, they, he, so he went and joined this other band. And he, st- he thought, you know what? That band's a safe bet. That band's easy. They're going to make it. They're going to fly. It's going to be brilliant. However, the void that was left by Tim Staffel was filled by none other than Freddie Mercury. Okay, yeah, exactly. And we all know Freddie Mercury, don't we? He, obviously, he wasn't, you know, he was better than Tim, obviously. So, he nev- you know, Tim couldn't have competed. But Freddie was this kind of vocal phenomenon. What a performer. And yes, he had his demons, but Queen undoubtedly changed the face of rock music forever. And uh, I found out while I was researching this that Tim Staffel was actually invited by the remaining, um, the, 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 sorry, the members of Queen that's still alive, he was invited to re-record one of their songs, which I just think is just rubbing salt in the wounds, really, isn't it? <laughs> just think, oh, gosh, that's just cruel. But anyway, um, I'm sure they're on good terms. But you have to wonder, don't you? Tim Staffel thought that one, they're going to make it big. I'll stick with what I know. These guys, you know what? It's going to be hard work, and I'm not sure... So I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just stick with what I know, and they'll make it big. And actually, he was wrong. He never made it anywhere. Anyway, no, that's a bit harsh. Uh, but he, you know, he missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Okay, uh, another example, a bit closer to home. Um, rewind, you know, many, many years back. Uh, gosh, 22 whole years. Gosh, I was four years old, and I remember this clearly in my mind. I was in reception, and I had been elected to be a shepherd in the nativity and I was made up I was made up got the tea towel got the dressing gown first performance it was in the local Anglican church which which was um, where I ended up going as a young person and you know I left school for that day and my mum's thinking I'm going to see John later in the nativity I'm going to be so proud of him 
She's going to be so proud of him. Little did she know, poor Jackie, little did she know, little did she know that half an hour before we were walking over to the church, I bottled it. And we were in the line to go out and I thought, Mrs. Lloyd, I can't be a shepherd for you. I can't do it. And that was it. I wasn't a shepherd. I chickened out. I settled for a safe bet of just sitting in the congregation. I thought, you know what? I've got a good thing going on here. I'm not going to put my neck on the block. I'm not going to put a tea towel on my head. There's no risk of embarrassment. I know, hilarious. And, um, and I will just step away and I won't fulfil my obvious acting prowess that it was just the potential was there obviously but um i wasn't ready to tap into it no um but i missed out on an opportunity not quite as badly as tim staffel but we both made a choice we both made a choice when we were faced with something to settle for what we knew and to settle for what was comfortable we didn't want to take any risks i for one stayed amongst the crowd And neither of us could see, neither me nor Tim, could see the bigger picture of what was going to happen. Now, I promise you, both of those anecdotes do have a tenuous link um, to this passage. So um, let's get into it. If you're following along or if you're listening on the podcast, um, we are uh, in Matthew chapter 17. And because I'm a good Anglican, uh, we did 20 whole verses. It's like almost half a chapter. So well done, guys. Um, We made it. Brilliant. And this is one of those amazing passages, isn't it? It's the transfiguration. And um, the transfiguration, um, you know, for those of you that aren't familiar, is basically in three of the Gospels. So it's in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and the book of Luke. And basically it's when the disciples see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his beauty and his brilliance and his majesty. Okay. Um, And, you know, uh, that is pretty amazing. And not only that, he's surrounded by two heroes of the Old Testament. Okay? They show up as well. It's Moses and Elijah. Moses sums up in this, you know, he was there, but he's kind of the summary of the law. So like the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, all of that stuff. He summarises the law. And then Elijah's there and he summarises, he represents the prophets, all of those people that said, this Jesus guy's going to come. And Jesus is kind of in the middle there talking with them. And if I'm Peter, I'm thinking this is pretty awe-inspiring, Okay? Peter, he's, he's Jewish by heritage, so he knows Moses and he knows Elijah, and then he's been following this Jesus guy around, and suddenly Jesus is there in all his glory, and then two of his absolute heroes, you know, it'd be like if Simon met John Mark Comer, as an example, <laughs> right? So um, it would be like that, you're surrounded by your heroes, and you think, whoa! I'm really sorry, that's such an unnecessary dig, but, um, no, you know. I would actually be. Simon would giggle, for the record. Um, but, so, you're there in front of three of your heroes of the faith, okay? And it must have been awe-inspiring. You've got the, the, the law, the prophets, and Jesus saying, I'm the fulfilment of it all. It's all about me. And then at face value, Peter makes a really odd suggestion, doesn't he? He goes, this is really cool. Shall I put up some tents for the three of you? Shall I put some tents up? Bizarre as it might seem, Peter's not actually miles off when he's saying this. You see, uh, the transfiguration occurred during uh, what was called the Festival of Tabernacles. Um, That's a mouthful if you ever want to try it. Uh, The Festival of Tabernacles, okay? And that was one of the uh, many Jewish festivals that God had um, asked them and commanded them uh, to follow uh, throughout um, 
Israelite life, and the, uh, the festival involved living in temporary shelters uh, for seven days, and it was to remind them of God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness. That was what it was for. So they stayed put for seven days. So yes, it does seem a bit odd that Peter's saying, shall we put up some tents? But actually, he's not, he's not too far off as it would seem. But actually, what he's saying is, for the duration of this festival, or at least for the duration of this festival, he's saying, this is a good place. I'm hanging out with some heroes of the Jewish faith and the Son of God. That is undoubtedly a good place to be. I forget, let me find what verse it's in. But Peter says to Jesus in verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And it is good for them to be there. They're in the presence of God. Of course, it is a good place for them to be. But he kind of misses the point here for me. So um, whenever you're reading your Bible or whenever you're listening to a preach, um, I always find it helpful personally to, and uh, I'd recommend it to, to you, See what it's sandwiched in between, okay? See what it's sandwiched in between. So, just before the transfiguration, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, don't worry, we're not going to read it all, but, you know, feel free in your own time. Um, Jesus, you you see Jesus um, hanging out with his disciples, and uh, in chapter 16, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Peter's like, uh, Jesus is like, yep, you nailed it. And then those verses shortly afterwards, Jesus then says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Okay, and then we get this transfiguration moment and then Jesus comes back down off this mountain and he heals a demon-possessed boy. Okay, so everyone got that sandwich structure? So the, first, the top bit of bread, or is it the bottom? Who's, who knows? The top bit of bread is Jesus saying, or Peter saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus saying, I'm going to die. Then he's, bam, it's me in all my glory. And then he goes back down and he gets, rolls his sleeves up and he, and he delivers this boy from a demon. Okay. So, um, you see, what I think um, Peter gets a little bit wrong there is that he's like, no, I want to stay on the mountain, okay? The transfiguration is this, like, amazing, God is amazing, beautiful moment. And actually, um, you know, Peter really wrestles with Jesus in these passages before and after because dying... And then, like, getting your hands dirty amongst the least and the lost in stereotypically are quite unmessiah like things to do. They're quite unmessiah like things to do. But, ultimately, the transfiguration makes sense of the rest of it. Because in between, Jesus saying, I'm going to die and Jesus healing a demon-possessed boy, you have God the Father saying, this is my son. With him, I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. And that's no mistake from the writer of Matthew. See, in between this, you've got Jesus declaring his mission. I'm here to save people, I'm here to die. And then he goes and he delivers someone from a demon. And in between, it's almost a little bit like God saying, yes, he's right. He's on the right track. Everything he's just said about needing to die and then getting his hands dirty with human beings. That is, that is God's will and God is pleased with it. It's a recognition of Jesus' goodness. In fact, you could almost say, obviously God loved Jesus because he's Jesus and um, without boring you too much, you know, you can't really separate his nature from his love and all that. But, um, but you see that God says Jesus 
is as glorious and as good as he is. He's transfigured in that moment as the man who will die for us. And he's transfigured as the God-man who will you know, uh, heal and deliver us from darkness. And it's because Jesus understands his mission, almost, that God is saying, yes, with you I'm well pleased. You know, to give you a little bit of insight into where that comes from, we're jumping around a little bit, I hope you follow him. But um, Philippians chapter 2, it says this, doesn't it? It's re- quite a famous bit. It says, you know, Jesus, even though he considered equality with God something to be, uh, not, he didn't consider it something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, and then he, he was obedient to death. Therefore, God gave him uh, the name that is above every name and exalted him to the highest place. So, yes, Jesus is God because he's God, but he's given this glory and this status because he's, he's got his mission right. And he recognises his calling and he recognises his role in God's plan. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, he is exalted. But I think, for quite a lot of us, and I, I include myself in this, much like P- Peter, I think um, myself as a Christian, and I think the church generally, we love the mountain. We love the mountain. And in a sense, that isn't a bad thing, is it? I don't think Peter's wrong when he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. But we love the mountain. We long for it, don't we? I don't know if you've ever been in a place in life where... Um, I don't know, anyone go to like Christian summer festivals here? They're a bit of a thing in this country. Um, they're most odd, but, uh, they're, but they're brilliant as well. Um, most odd. And it, but, um, you know, it's almost like we go to these summer things and we're like, wow, it's amazing. And we're like, you know what? That's going to get me through the rest of the year. And I, as long as I can get the other one in my line of sight, I'm going to make it. It's going to be all right. And it feels like I'm on the mountain and I'm crawling for the rest of the 360 days, however many it is. But that's not the point. They're supposed to be the cherry on the cake, those things, right? They're not supposed to be the cake itself. Those things are designed for us to live in the fullest, in the in-between of those mountaintop moments. But so often as Christians, what we do is we go, this is a good place to be. Let's stay. Let's put up some tents. In, very, very literally, if you're at New Wine. Um, but, um, <laughs> but um, oh, thank you. Um, let's, let's put up some tents. Let's stay. This is a good place to be. Okay. Now, we all love it, don't we? And on one level, even something like the gathering, like this, is a little bit like that. Obviously, you know, um, we don't have a smoke machine yet. Joking. But, um, but um, you know, we come for great music, a meaty sermon. You be the judge of that. Uh, but... We, we long to dwell in God's presence like this, don't we? And it is. This, this space is a really good space. And we do go, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And of course it's good for us to dwell with God fully. But the promise of dwelling with God fully ultimately is, is to come, right? Now, when this... If this is what heaven is like, man, I'm disappointed, to be honest. You know what I mean? This, this, this building's... Don't get me wrong, you guys are lovely. But this building, and like, it's a bit cold outside, you know. God isn't fully realised in his kingdom here yet, you know. We've got glimpses of heaven here, but it's not the, the full deal. Jesus is coming to be fully with us into the future. And actually, in the meantime, he says, we've got to get down off the mountain. We've got to get down off the mountain in the meantime because of the promise 
that one day we, we will be able to stand there and say, it is good to be here. You see, Jesus is so glorious, as we just said, because of who he is. He's given glory because of who he is and because of what he does. There's almost, there's a level to like action and consequence to it. You see, Peter's there saying, it's good for us to be here. And then God speaks, and then they look up and they just see Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, get up. Yeah? And then they're back down the mountain, and they're back into the business of, de- of, de- of Jesus delivering um, the demon-possessed boy uh, from this demon. And it's interesting that so often we can be like that. We can love the mountain, we can love God's presence, we can love churchy things, but we don't like to get back down off the mountain. And actually, you almost see this as we go from into verses 14 to 20, like if you're following it, and the deliverance of this boy that's possessed with a demon. Because Jesus actually, he, get, he begins to get a bit annoyed you know, he says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here. You know, he's, he, he can't believe it. You know, those three that have just been at the mountain with him have just seen him in all his glory. His disciples have been following him, seeing him do all of these amazing things. But still, they can't fully have the faith to do the will of Jesus Christ. When they ask him, why couldn't we deliver him? Could you put on the next slide, Simon? Why couldn't we deliver him? Uh, oh, one more, sorry. He says, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So you see Jesus' frustration with it. He's showing people his glory all over the place. But then they don't even have the faith to follow it up. Mark's um, account of this same passage of deliverance of the boy um, says... This type only comes out through prayer, which is mysterious. But prayer and faith are, are the same thing almost, right? If you don't pray with faith, not much can happen. You know what I mean? They're, they're both and. They're this true belief in that transfigured Jesus, that beautiful Jesus, has to come down off the mountain into our day-to-day lives, into our workplaces, into our ministries, into the people in our homes and the people we love because it's real because Jesus is real and his glory is real and his risen resurrection power is real but so often we think it's definitely real for me and I want, I want to stay on the mountain because this is nice, this is safe, it's nice, it's cosy but when it gets to the rubber hitting the road I don't know about you, very often I'm like hmm, does it, will it work? Oh, I'm not sure, maybe not for them. You know, all of that stuff. We think it all the time, don't we? You think, gosh, you know what, I feel called to pray for that person, but if it, nothing happens, I'm going to look like a real silly Billy. You know, um, we all think those things, don't we? And our, so often our default is, is, is fear, it's not faith. And actually, Jesus gets a little bit frustrated. I know we don't like hearing that. And he does love you, honestly. He loves you so much. But sometimes I'm sure he's just like, come on, John, you know me, you love me. You know I rose from the dead. You know I've got something to say about X, Y, Z. Will you just get on and do it? That's kind of the tone I imagine he takes with me. But 
You see, so often I like the mountain though. I'm like, nah, yeah, someone else will do it. Or that's not for me. Or I'll wait until I definitely feel called or whatever. We get uncomfortable when we're called to leave our safe place on the mountain and share it with other people. See, Jesus, all of us here, if you're a Christian person, he's shown you his beauty in one way or another. Okay? Some of us might be blessed to see a vision. Some of us might be blessed to hear an audible voice. But others of us just get that, you know, that, the Holy Spirit, just the light bulb switches on and we think, yes, I've understood the beauty. That the glorious Son of God is so glorious because he stooped down low, became nothing, healed the sick, bound up the brokenhearted, died and rose in glory, and yet he calls you his friend. And how boring would it be if he let you be someone like a John who didn't want to be a shepherd in the nativity? A John who was like, ah, when the rubber hits the road, I'll just stay in my safe place. I'll just chill out. Or... How boring would it be if he wanted you to be, or if he just was happy with you being a Tim Staffel? Tim kind of went completely the other way, but like, he was like, nah, that's too risky. That's not safe. I'm going to stick with what I know, what's familiar. How boring would it be if that's where the beauty of God stopped? See, seeing Jesus in all of his beauty ought to keep us moving towards the broken and the lost and not settling with comfort and familiarity. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to get before Jesus if he returns or if I die before that and look back and go, oh man, I missed a lot. I missed a lot of opportunities. I missed a lot of good things. Because actually, yes, they see God's glory on the mountain but they see his power and his glory and his beauty in his healings, in his miracles, in his death and in his rising. Really, I'm not convinced most of the really like, obviously a lot of it happens here, but so much God's kingdom stuff is happening out there. It's not, it's not just kept for in here. And it might look different and it might not make us feel necessarily comforted or wrapped up in a blanket in the same way but we will see God move when we go out in faith as you've beheld his glory on the mountain in places like this and you say right I'm not going to be afraid Jesus is here and I'm going to go down the mountain and get to work so a couple of questions for you uh, as we begin to come into land uh, and I ask these, like, I ask, I'm asking these to myself, please know that, like, you know, as, as an example, like, I, I love what we're doing at Town Centre, but it's like, I think we're all Christians. I'm like, well, how, how can we make this look like, how can we get more non-Christians in? At the minute, it's a great space, but it's a safe space. How can, how can I, as, like, and Tariya and I, as we kind of help all of us shape that community, what, what does it look like for us to not just make it a nice, a nice cosy cottage, as it were, as nice as those are? How do we get that balance? How do we come down off the mountain and go into mission as believers? So I'm asking these questions of myself all of the time as well. But do you believe like God saves? Like, do you really believe that God saves? And do you really believe he can use you to bring others to him? Or are you happy with the Jesus whose power is for you and for you to have a nice 
time in worship and to go home feeling filled up, ready to survive, not thrive, during the rest of the week. Do you crave that spiritual high or do you crave to follow Jesus? And do you have faith that the Son of God is a glorious King who drives out the darkness and sends you in power? And something that I'm increasingly struck by is that gatherings like this and our collectives and church and all of that stuff, they're not primarily for us. They're for the Lord Jesus. In spaces like this, when we meet the glorious King, it's so we that can then step out into the world with faith in the risen Jesus. Church will always be about Jesus. And yes, of course, we receive the blessings of his presence, but they're, you know, that, that thing of being blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Otherwise, it's a little bit like if I was, I'm not, but like if I was training for a half marathon and I drank 10 Red Bulls and didn't go on a run, you know? That's not, it's not good for me. <laughs> I've got to put what I receive into practice. We get Jesus greedy and it's actually out of a lack of faith. See, these spaces are for our nourishment, healing and filling. Of course they are. And God loves you and loves relationship with you and is so kind and loves to shower you with love and healing and restoration. But that has to be for a purpose in this world because we haven't arrived yet. St. Anne's in Orford is not God's final dwelling place with his people, to my knowledge, unless you've got other ideas. Or, but <laughs> it's not. But... Um, it's, this isn't the end game. The end game's to come. And we can't afford to stay on the mountain right now because actually it's the hope of seeing him in all his glory to come when we can finally say, this is a good place to be. That we can be at rest. So our rest is coming. But for now we're called to go down the mountain and to take these, this seed of God's word that was put in our hearts and to spread it into the world. The church I grew up in uh, was great. I loved it. And um, is, it was quite different to this, but similar structure. So it had this door onto the way out. And uh, above it was this big carved um, piece of wood. Uh, and it had a verse from the book of James on it. And it's very deliberate that as you walked out of the building you were forced to face this, this Bible verse. And it said in, in archaic English, because, you know, that's the best way. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. It's amazing, isn't it? What genius put that above the threshold of a door? Legend. You see, it's got to be that. It can't just be the ten Red Bulls for us. It can't just be, oh, this is a nice place. It's got to be out there. It's got to be down the mountain. That's why we gather. Yes, to enjoy each other's company, to be comforted and healed and restored. But because Jesus is saying, get up. Let's go. So Pete, can I invite you up to do your little strummy, strummy stuff? Thanks. Um, we're going to respond, and Tria and Simon are going to be uh, in the front left uh, to offer to pray for you, if you wish. Um, but I just want, you know, and please... Uh, I realise that's quite a 
probably not what you expected coming to the gathering, but hey-ho. Um, that can be a bit odd to like, come to church and go, oh, what, Jesus is a... frustrated. And he's, he's not primarily that. He's primarily like, besotted with you and like, loves you to pieces. So like, don't hear like, judgment and condemnation or any of that. This is just like, a challenge to us all that like, as we receive the love of God, it's, it's for us, but it's also so we can share it um, with others. So know that Jesus isn't cross. He's not like, oh, we've, we've missed, a few, missed a few days, guys. We've missed a few opportunities. He's happy right now with you. He's delighted with you. He loves relationship with you. But he's calling you to more. He's calling you into much, much more. And this whole church, to be honest, needs to come off the mountain a little bit. <laughs> so maybe for yourself, you just need some time in God's presence now, remembering his glory and his beauty, and receiving healing, restoration, and comfort. God longs to meet with you. He longs to meet with you. He's a tender friend whose bright, radiant light draws to the darkest places of our lives. And he longs to make you whole. And he loves to do that because he loves you. I encourage you, though, as you come, don't come just so that you'll feel a bit more chipper next week. Come because you want Jesus. Some of us need to say sorry. I know I do. I need to say, God, I've kept you for myself. Oh, man. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, on one level it's easy, but on another level it's really hard for people like myself that work in churches because we just surround ourselves with Christians and it can be actually easier. And it often is easier than a, what, a lot of what you guys do out and about in your day-to-day. Sometimes I know I need to say, God, I've kept you for myself. And I've enjoyed you. And I've, but I've settled. But he's calling you into more. He loves you. And has so much more for you. And some of you might just be in a place where you're absolutely shattered. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, all or none of the above. And you're saying, Jesus, I I just need you to meet me. I need you to be reminded, sorry, I need to be reminded of your glory, of your goodness, of your closeness. And don't get me wrong, Jesus isn't you know, just here so he can then use you in mission the next day. He's absolutely here because he loves you. But going with him into life is the most exciting thing. The best adventure. That's where you'll feel alive. I just finished with one um, little anecdote. Realise I'd... What time do we finish? What time do we finish? Half past. Not loads of time. Got another 25 minutes. No, joking. Um, when I was, um, I was an intern at a church down in Oxford, and this has always stayed with me, 
um, and I just can't, I will never shake it because it was powerful. Uh, the guy, a guy uh, from Jos in Nigeria, the Bishop of Jos in Nigeria came. He was studying. He was taking a bit of a sabbatical to study theology because, you know, that's what people do on the holidays, apparently. And um, he was interviewed by our rector and our rector said, um, what's, what's one thing we can do for the church in Nigeria? Uh, there are brothers and sisters, right, in the church in Nigeria. And, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nigeria situation, but Boko Haram uh, tearing through the country, pulling down churches, burning buildings, murdering all sorts of terrible things because people are Christians. And this guy's the bishop of the capital of Nigeria. And all he said was, all you can do for us is not compromise on the faith that we are dying for. And, uh, yeah, it just breaks your heart, doesn't it? So come again to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We're sorry for where we've kept you for ourselves. But we thank you that your mercies are new every morning that you love us deeply, intimately. You love us enough to die for us and to then call us on into life just as you rose. Thank you that you are real, that you're not just a fabrication of our minds or of our hearts or of our ideals. You're real. And you can change our lives. And you can change the lives of those around us, of this town, of this country, of this world. But you come and remind us of your glory, Jesus. Meet us on this mountain that we might go back down with you as we share our lives with you. Amen. We invite everyone to play their part as we worship creatively, love generously and serve locally.